Hello, this is the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. We have a special guest today, Judge Lyndall Pickett. Judge, how are you doing today? I'm sorry, Judge. I didn't have my speakerphone in there. How how you doing today, Judge? I'm doing great. And how are you guys doing? Well, pretty good, pretty good. It's uh, unfortunately Chip Hooper's not here today. Let me turn the basketball thing down. Tennessee and I were going into a overtime. But uh, Judge, uh, tell me where you got started playing tennis as a young boy. Greensburg, Kentucky. Where the heck is Greensburg, Kentucky? That is the heart of America. 2,500 people. Greensburg, Kentucky. Central part of Kentucky. Almost the state capital of Kentucky, but it lost by one vote. Is that right? Is that right? Down down on the Green River. Well, there's a lot of Kentucky people that would know about that. Maybe more basketball players than tennis players, but which begs the question, how in the world did you get to be a, a Baylor University and University of Kentucky tennis player and a top player uh, coming from Greensburg, Kentucky? Do they even play tennis down there? <laughs> I was blessed to have a superstar of a tennis coach. He moved to Greensburg uh, from Lexington about So that so you had a that's interesting. So you had a, a an athlete that was a tennis player that became a tennis coach at Greene County High School and taught PE. So he was uh, a real tennis star in his day. Is that right? He was. He was more of a basketball star. He had um. Well, now this is this is Coach Nelson Moore. Of course, we're talking about Nelson Moore, Coach Moore. Coach yes. Moore. And did he come up? Did he come up in Lexington, Kentucky? He grew up in Lexington. Yes, he played. Um, had a good high school career. He played in the military. He got a, a basketball scholarship. Graduated from Campbellsville University. Played basketball there, and then he got into coaching. And he got you out uh, in in got you out on the tennis court at a young age, even though he was not a primarily a tennis person at first. Well, that's true. As you as you know, in those small towns, they hire a coach and he coaches everything. So Coach Moore, he was he was the head football coach, he was assistant basketball coach, and he was the head tennis coach. He taught health and P E and so he did a little bit of everything. And so um, that's kind of where where it got started. 
Why was he important to you? Was he important to you mainly as a tennis coach? Well, uh, yes, uh, except, I mean, like, we spent an enormous amount of time together. He, you know, he was a great mentor to me and all the players, but for me personally, he, I, I played a lot. Once I, I started late, you know, I started about age, well, I started age 14, and but once I started, I played as much as I could. So he would drive me home after practice every day. I lived five and a half miles out in the country. And so, you know, I would start playing tennis as soon as the last class, and he and I and a couple other guys would play every day till it got dark. And then he would he'd drive me home. Boy, that's, <laughs> some, that's something that wouldn't happen in today's day and age, I'll tell you. <laughs> so he was like a father, big brother, uncle, mentor, coach, all in one. Is that right? Is that right? And then, Lyndall, I mean, uh, I remember because I was from Louisville, Kentucky, which was kind of a tennis mecca of sorts and grew up playing tennis there. And uh, remember when you came up and I just had never heard of Greensburg, first of all, but it was so strange to see a tennis player and, and, and a good tennis player uh, come up and play the tournaments in Kentucky at the time. We had some great players. We had Mel Purcell, who was a little younger than the two of us, and and uh, Mark Beekler, who later played at Clemson, was a fantastic player. And um, it was kind of a little tennis mecca there in Kentucky. But you competed well, and that's uh, that's that's very unusual coming from a, a small town. And then uh, tell me about. Uh, what happened after that? You you got into the state and you were one of the top two or three players in the state of Kentucky in the juniors. And then high school's over and and college is starting. And tell me how you got to where you got. Where where did you go? Um, from from high school. Yes. I, I, I think you got a tennis scholarship to Baylor University. How, how did you do that? What was your connection with Baylor? Well, Coach Moore had a brother uh, named Winston Moore and who had a basketball scholarship to Baylor. He was their, in fact, he was their all-time leading scorer. In, in basketball, basketball. And, wow. And he talked to, to the tennis coach and said that his brother was a high school tennis coach and he had a player he thought was promising and would he be interested and Thank you. And, and the coach said, well, I've never seen him play. If he's willing to come down here and play in a tennis tournament, the Waco Open, and I will come out and watch him play, and we'll, we'll take it from there. So Coach Moore and I, we flew to, uh, I guess it was Dallas, where the car drove to Waco, stayed at Winston's, and I played in the tournament. Had a good tournament, um, and and from then he came out and watched me play a lot, and then he offered me a scholarship afterwards. Wow! Well, then Baylor University—that uh, that must have been a fun time. Uh, what uh, what happened down at Baylor? Well, uh, during the tournament, or no, you 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 played in the junior tournament and you got your scholarship, and then you went to Baylor. 
And then what happened uh, at Baylor? Well, not a whole lot happened. I mean, I was a, you know, a student and um, you know, made pretty good grades. And we had a decent tennis team. The, you know, the Southwest Conference was especially tough. We played against uh, Texas, starring Gary Plock and some other notable players. And, you know, just played, played the... All those, all, a lot of those teams were good. Who was uh, who was on your who was this, who was the number one player on your team at the time? That was a guy named Danny Dobbs. Ah, Danny yes, Dobbs. from Corpus Christi, very good player. Right, Danny he was a, he was a good player. Like that's all you you beat him uh, in the uh, Southwest Conference tennis tournament. Um, I guess that would have been our sophomore years because you were this. You were the same age as me. I see. And and who uh, who was your roommate in college at the time? Well, did you uh, room with I other did. tennis players, for example? Well, I did, but I had Bruce Walter as my roommate one year, and a guy named uh, Julius Dunlap. Now you might be referring to there was a uh, Mark Hurd was when we weren't roommates, but we were doubles partners. Uh, I was one year older than him, so I, so when he arrived, we became good friends, played doubles on the team together, and hung around a lot and practiced a lot, and had a lot of fun. Now was Mark Mark was from North Miami Beach, wasn't he? That's right. Excellent memory. Well, Excellent memory. Well, I remember Mark Joffe, who was a great player, and Van Winitsky, who followed Mark a little later, that were great players and. They just, you know, that's where all the, a lot of the great players came out of uh, was South Florida. But uh, Mark Hurd is a little interesting story because uh, he later uh, became a little bit famous uh, in other than tennis. That, that's right. He's had quite a career in, in business. Um, he was, I think he's the CEO now. Drawing a blank on it, but he was at uh, Oracle. There you go, Oracle. Oracle, that's right. I think he's a CEO now. And uh, I, I haven't talked to him lately. We've emailed a few times. I understand he keeps his tennis game up. And um, I believe he was the CEO of uh, Hewlett Packard before that, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. He was. He's kind of a darling of Wall Street. Oh, he was. Was he? Was he a, was he a darling? He had a pretty good tennis game. Now, you know, it's kind of funny because Mark Hurd, as I remember Mark Hurd, you know, he was a, a long-haired guy from, you know, I just thought he was another Miami boy like Rick Fagel with a big forehand. And uh, he was a pretty good player, but uh, it's kind of funny to think of somebody that, uh, you know, was just one of us tennis players and then ascended to those heights that he did in the, in the corporate world. I, you know, and I was surprised myself when I uh, <laughs> read about that. And, and uh, you know, he, like you say, he was just one of the guys. And um, then years later, I see he's, you know, doing, doing quite well. It's funny how, how you know, you, you have your college life with these players that are like your best friends and brothers. And, and then you go off and split off in different ways. And... Mark Hurd goes on to great things. I know he moved up to Dayton and kind of had a lot to do with that uh, uh, 
uh, NCR uh, back when those National Cash Register. Yeah. yeah, back when those ATM machines started becoming big, and I think he was kind of an innovative force in getting them to the top. And then I, I guess he was a you know a fair-haired boy, although uh, you know he couldn't beat Danny Dobbs, and he wasn't at the top. <laughs> You know, and I don't know if he could beat you or not, but uh, anyway, that's that's kind of neat to see guys succeed like that, that, that you were on there grinding it out with, and I guess you guys practiced a lot, and, um, you know, now, since then, I know that uh, Mark has been instrumental in Baylor University and getting computers into the uh, university and doing a lot of great things, and I believe the Mark Hurd Tennis Center is, is something that he was philanthropy-minded uh, about and uh, donated some money so that Baylor also had one of the great uh, tennis facilities in the country, which they do, and so that must make you feel proud. Well, Lyndall, what did you do with your career after, after college? After college, I, um, immediately after college, I... Somewhere along the way, after two years, I transferred to University of Kentucky and played for them my last couple of years. And after college, I stayed at Kentucky, was the assistant tennis coach, got an MBA, and then after that, went to Louisville to law school. I see. And you became a lawyer. Uh, yes. I graduated from law school in 1987. And then what happened? Well, I think you're referring to 2001, I was selected to be a, a judge, a federal administrative law judge, and I've been doing that last several years. Has, um, has anything in your tennis background helped you in your profession that you have now, for example? Because you're, you're a judge, so you have to look at people and, and kind of discern whether they are... Uh, telling the truth, not telling the truth, things like that, or is it more cut and dry than that? Well, there is, uh, yes, in every, you're right, in every case there's credibility issues and some of the cases are very close and you do listen, try to listen carefully for inconsistencies in their testimony or exaggerating. Uh, sometimes in these cases um, they may be, they may have a history of drug use, and even though that's not the number one issue, but if they're lying about their drug use, then you can you may conclude they're lying about other issues. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I'd say the only thing like the tennis world, you know, I, I would say that, you know, you learn the hard work and dedication and showing up on time, you know, with Coach Moore as your coach, if, if you're one minute late, you are late and you're in trouble. Is that right? Well, what? Well, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Coach Moore, he was a, he was a little bit of a disciplinarian then as a coach. Yeah. He's old school. Coach oh, Moore's he's old, old school. Oh, he's old school. But he, but he didn't. He wasn't. He wasn't mean to us. Didn't. Uh, but yeah, if you, Coach Moore would. He expected you to be on time, or you know, you have to run laps, or um, you know, if you're. If, routinely late he would he would kick you off the team is that right he was, yes he was like I say he was also coaching football so <laughs> he used to like tell the story of some coach that he knew that if, if football practice was scheduled at three o'clock he 
would lock lock the gates at five minutes till three. <laughs> so, at five minutes till three. Exactly. So if you weren't there early, you might as well not come. <laughs> well, boy. Uh, so would it would it be uh, prudent to say that uh, if you were late, he wouldn't be showing up with a participation trophy for you anyway? <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I see. And Coach, Coach Ward, he did not believe in participation trophies. Uh, you know, everybody doesn't get a trophy. The winner gets a trophy. I see. Now, what about Coach Moore? Did Coach Moore have any children? He, he has one son, Jonathan Moore, and John, quite interesting fellow himself. Is that right? Well, tell me about Jonathan a little bit. Well, we call him Big John because he's seven foot tall. Seven foot bas- tall? <laughs> seven foot tall, had a basketball scholarship to Loyola uh, of Chicago. So he was a basketball, he just played basketball then. You know, he played both. He played tennis as well. Is that and, right? And I know you've had a, quite a career, but back in those, I mean, I've, I've played with, with John and and. You know, it's not easy returning a serve of somebody seven foot tall. Well, I'm thinking of John Isner right now, and and uh, let's see, did uh, I guess John may have even used a T2000 tennis racket. I don't know which would make his serve even more wicked. But so that's an interesting thing because being a five foot eight guy, I had to have a little different delivery on my serve. But what was it like playing against a seven foot? Hall server was it a flat was it a flat sir it was but before we get up uh, you're being overly modest you know of all the players I ever played against you had the, the best serve because it was the hardest and it was in the corner either either corner and I couldn't I could never tell which corner you were serving to and plus you had that wicked spin either the slice or or the top spin or the American twist serve. You're probably the only guy I played against that used the American twist serve. But um, so you're being modest. But John, he yeah, his was flat. His was hard and flat. And uh, yeah, he had, he had a good serve, really good serve. Well, you know, there's another there's another interesting guy, uh, Jonathan Moore, who you know also grew up. Well, I won't say down in the sticks because I don't want to get your coach Nelson Moore all riled up at me. But you know, let's just say it wasn't a, a populated area. And uh, this guy came and he played tennis, and he was seven foot tall. Now. That would be a scary sight coming out of the mountains and coming to the tournament and seeing a guy that's seven foot tall, you know, nailing this 130 mile an hour serve at you. So that had to be intimidating. And I know Jonathan obviously was was younger than you, but what happened? What happened to him? I mean, what what well, happened? You know, he, he he was a really good athlete, but unfortunately had some knee problems, like a lot of basketball players do. And so, you know, his his goal early on it was perhaps even playing professionally someday. But he had so many knee problems. I, I would estimate he had seven knee surgeries, counting you know all of his knee surgeries probably before he graduated from college. Um, but he. he has done well, he's had a great career, married with a, a son of his own, but he's gotten into the, 
entertainment business in Los Angeles. I graduated from director school from UCLA. He's a professor at one of the universities in Los Angeles. I don't remember which one right now. So he, he teaches full time. He's still writing um, writing some scripts and he's, he's had uh, some success. Uh, along the way with documentaries. I think documentaries is his area of expertise, but he's done real well. Well, that's interesting, and I, I remember he also wrote on a sh uh, Stephen Bacow's show, which is the guy that did Hill Street Blues, which was a show that I liked a lot, But uh, uh, and I know he, he wrote on a, a show called John from Cincinnati, which was a short-lived HBO show for a while, and Maybe it was short-lived because his writing was so bad. I don't know. Maybe he put too much put too much Greensburg, Kentucky in it. But yeah, I think uh, I think I remember that he did a documentary where he actually went back home and filmed a, a documentary about life in Kentucky. Possibly is that correct? That is correct. Good memory. He he's had a couple documentaries that are notable. One. It was when the factory in Campbellsville, Kentucky closed. That was Union Underwear that was located uh, about 11 miles from Greensburg. And it was the largest employer in that area. Did they so make it, Fruit of the Loom, excuse me, but did they make Fruit of the Loom t-shirts? Yes, they did. Well, Lyndall, are you still playing tennis yourself? I am. I'm not competing in tournaments right now, but I, I do play uh, when pretty much when I get the chance. And what do you feel like uh, tennis has done for you? Well, it's, you know, it's helped me in a lot of ways. I've coached more. <laughs> One of our running jokes would be, uh, he would say, he would say, I hadn't started coaching you in tennis, you'd be sitting on the courthouse steps whittling. Because <laughs> back, back in the day, there'd be a bunch of elderly men waiting for their tobacco to sell. They'd be sitting on the courthouse steps all around there just whittling and spitting tobacco. And he said, and he'd always say, you'd be sitting on the courthouse steps whittling, whittling if it weren't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's funny to, to hear from, from a guy, I guess, that uh, never really got out of the country once he went down to Lexington. And so uh, I guess that's that's his frame of reference. But you are a powerful, um, I guess, a federal judge. Uh, what, what, do you, what exactly do you do for the government? Well, I hear cases for the Social Security Administration to determine if someone is too disabled to work. And if so, when? when they become too disabled to work, and the cases may include uh, disabilities from 
like motor vehicle accidents or psychological issues or just a combination of things as people you know get older uh, degenerative disc disease have a couple of surgeries and feel like they can't work anymore and so hear the case to, to start to see if they get benefits or not well that's i'm glad that you said that because my leg's been hurting me quite a bit lately and i can't walk too well anymore uh, what 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 would I have to do to get some benefits there? Well, if you're serious about it, um, then you would apply for you know go to your local social security office, or actually you can do it online. You would apply, complete all the forms, and then social security administration would begin to get your medical records together and likely send you to a doctor to be evaluated. To, for the, uh, get the opinion of what uh, you can do and what you cannot do, and then if it weren't uh, approved in, along the way, then you could request a hearing and then have a hearing with a judge like me. Well, that's interesting. I, I know that, that probably there's a lot of people that say, well, I'd like to see if I can get some Social Security benefits, and they're not really in a situation where they really need it, but are there others possibly that really need that kind of help and that don't provide their information and don't try to get benefits? Or do you know, or is that something you just wouldn't know? No, that's, and that's an excellent question. There are people who apply for benefits and I prove the case and at the hearing, it might come up, uh, well, why didn't you apply years ago? And because they've been disabled for years, you can just tell by the medical records they've been, they've had certain, like multiple back surgeries. Mm -hmm. And they, they'll testify that, well, I just thought I was going to get better, or so I didn't apply, or I, you know, I just didn't really want, you know, to get the, uh, they, they kind of viewed it as, you know, it's a minority view, but they kind of do this sort of a handout, and they wanted they wanted to work and better. But but you get all kinds of cases. Um, you know, unfortunately, you get cases that are so sick that they die before they uh, can get a hearing. I had a, a one of the claimants that, that died uh, recently before it could get a, uh, a hearing. But and then you get the other kind too that are almost comical because there's very little if anything at all. Is that them. right? Yeah. Um, I had a case where, well, I mean, there's lots and lots of examples. I can tell you one or save it for another time. No, but, go ahead. <laughs> well, there, there was a case when I was heard a case in Nashville. This lady, she came in and her file was thin. There's hardly anything in it, but she did have some, she did have some asthma and very, very mild breathing problems. And she came in wearing a, a mask, a white mask that you, you know, you can sometimes see. And, mm -hmm. and that mask was so white. I mean, it's like right out of the box, you could tell. <laughs> uh, and, and, and as she was testifying, she kept fidgeting with it because she was not used to wearing it. And, 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 Finally, and she, but her testimony was she could not leave the house for any reason unless she's wearing the mask. She can't, you know, she just had trouble breathing all the time. And none of this was documented by medical records. I mean, but, and, but what was the most comical of all, um, when she left, you know, 
she had she had been wearing the mask completely upside down. So <laughs> the reason she was it was the, the the part that goes underneath your chin, which is wide, it was turned around and it was cutting into the bridge of her nose. <laughs> so that's why she just kept pulling it and fidgeting with it, trying to get comfortable. Oh, that's a funny one right there. Well, yeah, well, so Judge Pickett, I appreciate you coming on board with us, and I'm sorry that Chip Hooper's not here. I don't know if you ever saw Chip play. You're a little bit older than Chip, like I am, and he came along a little later, but uh, I'm sure he would have enjoyed asking a couple of questions. And thanks for joining us today on the Chip and Gary Tennis Show, and we hope to hear, hear from you again another time. Well, great talking to you, Gary. All right, Judge Pickett. See you later.